Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. Christ is our sacrifice and surety. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. And the Bible says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. So somehow, when he was crucified, we became dead to sins if we believe in him, right? I'll leave you to look at that yourself a little bit. 1 Peter 2.24 If for some crime that you had committed, you were incarcerated within prison walls with a sentence of death passed on you, and a friend should come to you and say, I will take your place, and uh, you may go free. Would not your heart be filled with gratitude for such unselfish love? Christ has done infinitely more than this for us. We were lost. The sentence of death had been passed upon us. And Christ died for us and thus set us free. He said, I will take upon myself the guilt of the sinner, that he may have another trial. I will put within his reach power that will enable him to overcome in the struggle with evil. You and I were born into this ongoing controversy between heaven and, er, and Satan, weren't we? So it almost feels like, well, I didn't do, didn't purposely do anything, but here I am born into this fallen condition over which I have no control. But let's keep reading. This is where human beings stand today. Christ has bought us with his life. We belong to him. We are his. All our powers, physical, mental, spiritual, belong to him. And to withhold from him that which is, is his own is robbery. If you went to a pawn shop and you saw something there that was of value to thee, even though, even though it was broken and you knew you could repair it and you paid for it, you wouldn't leave without it. And Jesus paid for us, and he's going to do everything he can to not leave without us. But we do need to cooperate, right? Imagine, if possible, the nature and decree, degree, the degree of Christ's sufferings. This suffering in humanity, it was to prevent the outpouring of the wrath of God upon the whole of those for whom Christ died. Yea, for the church, this great sacrifice will be efficacious or efficient, throughout eternity. Can we compare the amount of the church's transgression in figures? Impossible. Then who can approach unto a conception of what Christ has endured when standing in the place of surety for his church that we can't even compute? You know, um, we may not feel terribly guilty about things. We might think we're good people. But none of us is born with a robe of light. We... Or fallen we no longer Christ God will not cover us with his light if there is sin in us and our nature by nature is sinful he was the only one who could bear the strokes in behalf of the sinner because of his innocence not be consumed so Christ was the only one who could come to earth and bear it there was no one else no third party who could step in and die for us in the sacrifice of God's only begotten Son, 
is demonstrated the awful glory of divine justice and holiness. Wow. Yes, awful glory. Awful meaning impressive and amazing. The glory of divine justice and holiness. God is just and holy. And sin cannot exist in his presence. That's why Jesus is in between us. He is a, the go-between because we would not live if we were in God's presence. We would just simply die. By pledging his own life, Christ has made himself responsible for every man and woman on earth. That's you and me. We're people on earth. He stands in the presence of God saying, Father, I take upon myself the guilt of Carolyn. Put your own name in there. I take upon myself the guilt of the Carolyn. It means death to Carolyn if she is left to bear it. If she repents, she shall be forgiven. My blood will cleanse her from all sin. I give my life for the sins of the world. Hallelujah. So, if a friend offered to take my place in prison, I would have so many conflicting feelings. And I had the same problem when I first was beginning to know the Lord as a young person. I was so sure that he would resent me and hate me because of the price he paid for me. And even if I was saved in the end, that he would always have a feeling of what he had gone through over my behalf and have feelings of um, resentment about it. Because I didn't know him very well then at that time, you know, until one day he showed up at my heart with the flowers of his sacrifice saying, won't you receive it? receive my gift. Oh my, my heart was broken. I failed to grasp the reality of Christ's life and death in relation to me, don't you? I mean, it's so difficult to seem so real um, of the things that we can't see are around us, like our angels. Yet we need to personalize this work for us as if it was for me, or, or I will not respond to him in willing sacrifice if I don't realize it was for me. Willing sacrifice and self-denial for his sake would come naturally for me when I know what he did was for me. In the book titled Lift Him Up, for it's a daily meditational for August 14, we read, It would be well to spend a thoughtful hour each day reviewing the life of Christ from the manger to Calvary. Take it point by point. Let the imagination vividly grasp each scene, especially the closing ones of his earthly life. Now, think of the worst crime of your life. And then think of Jesus saying to his father, Father, I did it. Strike me down. Bless Carolyn. I would be horrified, wouldn't you? We're not going to talk about any of those sins because the Lord has forgiven them. They're cast in the depths of the sea and we are not going fishing. Yet, I hear so many people throwing a fit about being expected to obey God's law of love. Okay, well, which one? I'm not saying it's you. I'm just asking the question. If there's anyone who has this feeling, which one is so hard? Is uh, telling the truth the one that you don't, we don't want to keep? Maybe respecting our neighbor's property? Is that the one that we think is unfair and we shouldn't have to keep it? Maybe being loyal to our spouse. How about that? Or maybe helping people live longer instead of taking their life. How about honoring God, his name and his rest day, because it honors him as creator, where his uh, 
The seal of God is in the fourth commandment. His name, title, and area of rule, just like the seal of the state and so forth. So a change would have to be instituted before um, the Sabbath could have been changed or any other thing was. Let's, uh, well, let me just read this. Hebrews 9, 15 to 17 before I comment. Hebrews 9, uh -oh. 15 through 17. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of a necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So if you've made a will, it's not going to go into force till after you die. And you can make changes to that will before you die. But let's also read Galatians 3.15. I bookmarked, fell out, I had it there. Let's see, 3.15. It says, Brethren, this is Paul, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. So once Christ died, uh, no changes could be made. They had to be made before. Were there any changes made before? Yeah, he did. At the Last Supper, communion was instituted to replace the Passover. So that going forward after his death, it would be taken into the churches, and which mostly it is, and the ceremonial Sabbaths, the Passover and so forth, they were nailed to the cross, for they were associated with sacrifices, and they pointed to Christ, and he fulfilled them. They're no longer necessary. So you can read in Desire of Ages, chapter 72. It speaks of this. Christ was standing at the point of transition between two economies, and there are two great festivals. He would bring to an end the system of types and ceremonies. Passover was a type of Christ's sacrifice. Right? That sort of thing. The whole chapter is fabulous. You should read it. Really, chapter 72, Desire of Ages. But he did not change Sabbath, God's rest day, that honors him as creator. This was changed in 321 AD, over 300 years after Christ died. 300 years too late, wouldn't you say? It would have had to have been changed before he died. He would have instituted it if it needed to be changed, wouldn't he? He doesn't forget little details like that. Constantine isn't Christ, is he? He's the one who changed it. He wanted to bring the pagan people together with the Christians and have one big unity, ecumenical movement. But back to our subject. Christ is our sacrifice. Isaiah 53.10 says, When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. Well, we're born again in him. We're his children then. He shall see his seed. When we make his soul an offering for sin, we will be justified. That Martin Luther realized as he was walking up the stairs on his knees. And the verse, the just shall live by faith. Wow, that verse says so much. The just shall live by faith. Six words, six words. And what does it tell us? We're justified by the death of Christ. 
but after we're justified, we begin to live by faith. In other words, our life will then reveal obedience because we have faith in Christ, who is the one that makes it possible. Well, we want to be born of him. I'm so excited to begin reading The Desire of Ages because we were told that we should spend that thoughtful hour on his life. I believe it's going to make a difference and make Christ more real to me. How about you? I have a hard time actually being things being real to me. It just feels like we're going through a movie and somehow we're not like connected with what's actually happening in the world sometimes. But um, this, I think, will make a difference. Why don't you do that with me? Desire of Ages. Let's read particular chapters of it. I thought flower every day. Um, there's a promise in Acts 3.19. Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and be converted. See, when we repent, we're going to be converted. We'll be, we'll be changed from one thing to another. That's what conversion is. That your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We want those times of refreshing. And there was one other that I wanted to read, another promise. Um, Luke 5.32. Luke 5.32. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. That's you and me. He's given us hope. He came to call us. Let's answer that call. I said I wanted to read one little thing about Christ. Um, what he was like, how to be like Jesus every day. And today, let's see, this one little quote is found in Desire of Ages, page 815. The Savior's manner with Peter, it taught his brethren to meet the transgressor with patience, sympathy, and forgiving love. Remember what he did. Peter denied him three times, and Christ gave him three times to say that he loved him in front of his brothers, his brethren, fellow disciples. And uh, he forgave him, and he reinstituted him. They could trust him again. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, make yourself real to us, Lord. Come into our hearts. Help us to get rid of the rubbish before the door that we can swing the door wide open. Help us to throw out the things of this earth that are of no value and not to waste our time in the day, but to spend that thoughtful hour thinking of every point of your life. My prayer is for those who are here with me this morning. You know who they are. You know where they live. You know the grief, the sorrow, the trials, the joys of their life. Help them to see your hand in every experience. And you have told us, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, because he's working in your life, brothers and sisters. God bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me. Uh, God bless you today, brothers and sisters. Please join me again in the morning.